Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And we are so glad that you're here today joining us through this journey. So excited to have you here. Bible has been absolutely jam-packed with some action lately. I know, it's like buckle up because man, it doesn't look like it's going to be slowing down this time either. If you're just joining us, the message version that we're reading out of is just a paraphrase of the Bible, a little easier to understand. Sometimes it's written in just a little different way, so it puts a fresh set of eyes on some text that you may have heard before. It sure does. I absolutely love it. I really, really do. It helps you see this picture. And you over there with your large print, I mean, just rocking it. Oh, I know. Get your big print by. That's right. We like big print. I know. We should probably put a link in there for this Bible that I use. It's There's I, a link down in the description. If you would like yes. to use the Bible I'm reading out of, it's a devotional message Bible. Mm -hmm. Or if you'd like to use the one that Heidi is reading, we put a link down to each of those Bibles in the comments below. Yeah, I love both of them. I just like the fact that I can read this one. It does make it better. <laughs> So we're going to start out with a quick prayer and just get our minds and hearts ready for God's word. And then Heidi will be starting out in Matthew. All right, bad word coming to you. Amen. So Father God, thanks so much for another day. Today is not promised to us, but you have given it to us as a gift. Open up hearts and minds to be receptive to what your word has to say and just work in someone's life today. There's somebody out there that just needs a little bit of Jesus in their life and just the comfort of Jesus through a tough time. We've been through tough times before and I know that the comfort and peace that can come along with just inviting Jesus into that space, it's indescribable and I hope that someone out there today is able to find that. Amen to that. I just pray for that person out there that's just struggling with that last little, but is this really real? Is this true? Is this Jesus real? And I just pray right now, God, take that last little shred of barrier there and let the realness of you just invade so they never again pass that. That's right. Color in between the lines in their life, just color their life with who you are and absolutely and we ask this all in your holy name i pray amen amen all right so heidi you're going to be getting started today in matthew we are matthew chapter 8 starting at 23 that looks like we're going for a little voyage on the sea and as always the text that we're reading out of will be down below in the comments so feel free to follow along in your favorite translation all right here we go then he got in the boat, his disciples with him. The next thing they knew, they were in a severe storm. Waves were crashing into the boat, and he was sound asleep. They roused him, pleading, Master, save us, we're going down. Jesus reprimanded them, Why are you such cowards, such faint hearts? Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing, it's like, when do you say the waves? And like, we're bailing, I mean... Jesus, help us. But he says, cowards and faint hearts. Then he stood up and told the wind to be silent, the sea to quiet down. Silence. The sea became smooth as glass. The men rubbed their eyes, astonished. What's going on here? Wind and sea stand up and take notice at his command. 
They landed in the country of the Gadarenes and were met by two madmen, victims of demons, coming out of the cemetery. The men had terrorized the region for so long that no one considered it safe to walk down that stretch of road anymore. It's actually a frightening picture that they paint, and it makes you wonder what had they done to people who had walked down there. Mm -hmm. Seeing Jesus, the madmen screamed out, what business do you have giving us a hard time? You're the son of God. You weren't supposed to show up here yet. Off in the distance, a herd of pigs was grazing and rooting. The evil spirits begged Jesus, If you kick us out of these men, let us live in the pigs. Jesus said, Go ahead, but get out of here. Raised, the pigs stampeded over a cliff into the sea and drowned. Scared to death, the swine herds bolted. They told everyone back in town what had happened to the madmen and the pigs. Those who heard about it were angry about the drowned pigs. A mob formed and demanded that Jesus get out and not come back. I can see where that would be the beginning formation of PETA. Amen. <laughs> And we're not talking about Peter the Rock. We're talking about P-E-T-A. Yeah, not PETA bread, not Peter, but PETA. And please understand, we I am love a animals. diehard animal lover. Like, I want them all. I want all animals to live to an old age and have a happy life. So understand, we're just joking. But I can imagine that those pig farmers were probably like, okay, and what am I supposed to do now? I know that, I mean, that was their food. That was their job. And not just one or two went over, the whole entire herd of pigs yeah. went over. But man, what a blessing for those two men to not be demon possessed. Maybe they should be reminded of that. Truth. And now the road is safe to walk on. I know. You can walk down You can go here. take a run now. Just, I mean. I know. You can go you have just, a run down that bad road. There just won't be ham sandwiches with bacon. A ham sandwich with bacon? Oh, and melty cheese grilled. That's like a pig on top of a pig. Oh, I know. With cheese. I know. I can't eat that, but. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to bounce a little forward over to Acts. And I'll be reading Acts chapter 12. And it's titled Peter Under Heavy Guard. And this is Peter, P-E-T-E-R. Not to be confused with PETA, <laughs> the group that does want you to be kinder to animals. So that's when King Herod got it into his head to go after some of the church members. He murdered James, John's brother. And when he saw how much it raised his popularity ratings with the Jews, mm. he arrested Peter. All this during the Passover week, mind you and had him thrown in jail, putting four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. He was planning a public lynching after Passover. All the time that Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse, the church prayed for him most strenuously. Then the time came for Herod to bring him out for the kill. That night, even though shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. And there were guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place. Herod was taking no chances. Suddenly, there was an angel at his side and light flooding the room. The angel shook Peter and got him up. Hurry, the handcuffs fell off of his wrists. The angel said, get dressed, put your shoes on. Peter did it, and then grab your coat and let's get out of here. 
Peter followed. Couldn't believe it was really an angel. He thought he was dreaming. Past the first guard and then the second, they came to the iron gate that led into the city. It swung open before them on its own, and they were out on the street, free as the breeze. At the first intersection, the angel left him, going his own way. That's when Peter realized it was no dream. I can't believe it. This really happened. The master sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's vicious little production and the spectacle that the Jewish mob was looking forward to. Still shaking his head, amazed, he went to Mary's house, the Mary who was John Mark's mother. The house was packed with praying friends. When he knocked on the door to the courtyard, a young woman named Rhoda came to see who it was. But when she recognized his voice, Peter's voice, she was so excited and eager to tell everyone that Peter was there that she forgot to open the door and left him standing in the street. I've been that excited before. (laughs) But they wouldn't believe her. Dismissing her report, you're crazy, they said. Yeah, she's different, girl. She stuck by her story, though, insisting. They still wouldn't believe her and said it must be his angel. All this time, poor Peter was standing out on the street, knocking away. People are trying to kill me. (laughs) Hello. I'd like to be safe somewhere. I just escaped from prison. This amazing thing happened. Finally, they opened up and saw him and went wild. Peter put his hands up and calmed them down. He described how the master had gotten him out of jail and then said, tell James and the brothers what's happened. He left them and went off to another place. At daybreak, the jail was in an uproar. Where is Peter? What's happened to Peter? When Herod sent for him, they could neither produce him nor explain why not. And he ordered their execution, off with their heads. Fed up with Judea and Jews, he went for a vacation to Caesarea. Well, next. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm tired of these people. I'm going on vacation. I need a vacation. But things went from bad to worse for Herod. Now, people from Tyre and Sidon put him on the warpath. But they got Blastus, King Herod's right-hand man, to put in a good word for them and got a delegation together to iron things out. That's kind of a cool name, Blastus. To have that job with the name Blastus? Blastus. Because they were dependent on Judea for food supplies, they couldn't afford to let this go on for too long. On the day set for their meeting, Herod, robed in pomposity, took his place on the throne and regaled them with a lot of hot air. The people played their part to the hilt and shouted flatteries, The voice of God! The voice of God! That was the last straw. God had enough of Herod's arrogance and sent an angel to strike him down. Herod had given God no credit for anything. Down he went, rotten to the core, a maggoty old man, if there ever was one, he died. Wow. Meanwhile, the ministry of God's word grew by leaps and bounds. Barnabas and Saul, once they had delivered the relief offering from the church in Jerusalem, went back to Antioch. This time, they took John with them, the one that they called Mark. And there's a little paragraph I want to read here that Mm -hmm. just shows uh, about the lineage of Herod that I thought was kind of interesting. Herod the Great was the villain of the Christmas story. Slaughtered scores of innocent children in an attempt to rid the world of Jesus. His son, 
Harold Antipas was the dark power in the gruesome birthday celebration when he ordered John the Baptizer's head mm. to be served on a platter, and he later played a small part in the crucifixion of Jesus. Herod Agrippa entered Luke's story killing James and imprisoning Peter in the text that we have before us. Later in the story, Paul would stand trial before Herod's son, Herod Agrippa II. Oh. So spanning this 60-year story were four generations of Herods defiant before God, powerful and arrogant and cruel, bringing all of their considerable resources of cunning and violence against the Christian way. They didn't learn from anything they saw that happened to their yeah. father before them. And now we are going to rewind back to the Old Testament. And Heidi is going to be picking up here with Psalm number 20. Let's see what David is going to celebrate about God now. We have some Kleenex ready, so we are good to go. I think I'm going to be okay with this one. Think this so? is like a celebration one. Okay, we're, think we're so. down for some celebration. I've said that before and I've leaped. So here <laughs> we go. Psalm 20. God answer you on the day you crash. The name God of Jacob put you out of harm's reach. Send reinforcements from Holy Hill. Dispatch from Zion fresh supplies. Exclaim over your offerings. Celebrate your sacrifices. Give you what your heart desires. Accomplish your plans. When you win, we plan to raise the roof and lead the parade with our banners. May all your wishes come true. That clinches it. Helps coming and answers on the way. Everything's going to work out. And verse 6 just got me there. Mm. It just... Help is coming. Help is and coming. And answer is on the way. And everything is going, going to, work, to out. work out. I don't know who needed to hear that again, but there it is. I needed to hear that with something I'm... I'm in, and that's it's beautiful to me, and I treasure that. See those people polishing their chariots and those others grooming their horses? But we're making garlands for God, our God. The chariots will rust, those horses pull up lame, and we'll be on our feet, standing tall. Make the king a winner, God. The day we call, give us your answer. Dear God, you gave me an answer Another there. beautiful psalm. And we are going to head all the way back now to Genesis chapter 44 and 45. And I'll be closing out here for today. I'm going to try to reserve any of my human judgments of Israel because he kind of gets to me sometime. But he's an interesting character. Yeah, he is not the best of people, but God is good. And God still used him. He sure did. He uses a lot of unsavory characters. Mm -hmm. Case in point. Oh, I know. Here I am talking about Israel. I've got nothing to talk about when we want to, if you ever want to pick my life apart. So chapter 44, Genesis. Thanks again for following along. Joseph ordered his house steward, fill the men's bags with food, all they can carry, and replace each one's money at the top of the bag. Then put my chalice, my silver chalice, in the top of the bag of the youngest along with the money for his food. He did as Joseph ordered. At break of day, the men were sent off with their donkeys. They were barely out of the city when Joseph said to his house steward, run after them. When you catch up to them, say, why did you pay me back evil for good? This is the chalice my master drinks from. 
He also uses it for divination. This is outrageous. He caught up with them and repeated all of this word for word. He said, what is my master talking about? We would never do anything like that. Why, the money that we found in our bags earlier, we brought back all the way from Canaan. You think that we'd turn right around and steal it back from your master? If that chalice is found on any of us, he will die, and the rest of us will be your master's slaves. Steward said, very well then, but we won't go that far. Whoever is found with the chalice will be my slave. The rest of you can go free. They outdid each other in putting their bags on the ground and opening them up for inspection. Well, imagine <laughs> like these papas. Well, I'm going to show you that we are not thieves. The stewards searched their bags going from oldest to youngest. The chalice showed up in Benjamin's bag. They ripped their clothes in despair, loaded up their donkeys, and went back to the city. Joseph was still at home when Judah and his brothers got back. They threw themselves down on the ground in front of him. Joseph accused them. How can you have done this? You have to know that a man in my position would have discovered this. Judah, as a spokesman for the brothers, said, What can we say, Master? What is there to say? How can we prove our innocence? God is behind this, exposing how bad we are. We stand guilty before you and ready to be your slaves. We're all in this together. The rest of us as guilty as the one with the chalice. I'd never do that to you, said Joseph. Only the one involved with the chalice will be my slave. The rest of you are free to go back to your father. Judah came forward. He said, please, master, can I say just one thing to you? Don't get angry. Don't think I'm presumptuous. You're the same as Pharaoh as far as I'm concerned. You, master, asked us, do you have a father and a brother? And we answered honestly, we have a father who is old and a younger brother who was born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and he is the only son left from that mother. And his father loves him more than anything. Then you told us, bring him down here so I can see him. We told you, master, that it was impossible. The boy can't leave his father. If he leaves, his father will die. Israel was very... Very dramatic. He's, he's like, kind of passive-aggressive. If, if you leave, I will die. Very passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then you said, if your youngest brother doesn't come with you, you won't be allowed to see me. When we returned to our father, we told him everything that you said to us. So when our father said, go back and buy some more food, we told him flatly, we can't. The only way we can go back is if our youngest brother is with us. We aren't allowed to even see the man if our youngest brother doesn't come with us. Your servant, my father, told us, you know very well that my wife gave me two sons. One turned up missing. I concluded that he'd been ripped to pieces. I've never seen him since. If you now go and take this one and something bad happens to him, you will put my old gray grieving head in the grave for sure. And now, can't you see that if I show up before your servant, my father, without the boy, this son, with whom his life is so bound up, the moment that he realizes that the boy is gone, he will die on the spot. He'll die of grief, and we, your servants who are standing there before you, will have killed him. And that's not all. 
I got my father to release the boy to show him to you by promising, if I don't bring him back, I'll stand condemned before you, father, Mm. all my life. So let me stay here as your slave, not this boy. Let the boy go back with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Oh, don't make me go back and watch my father die in grief. Chapter 45 Joseph couldn't hold himself any longer. Keeping up a front before all of his attendants, he cried out, Leave! Clear out! Everyone leave! So then there was no one with Joseph when he identified himself to his brothers. But his sobbing was so violent that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him. The news was soon reported to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph spoke to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father really still alive? But his brothers couldn't say a word. They were speechless. They couldn't believe what they were hearing and seeing. Come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. They came closer. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't feel badly. Don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. There has been a famine in the land now for two years. The famine will continue for five more, neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me on ahead to pave the way and to make sure that there was a remnant in the land to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. So you see, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He set me in place as a father to Pharaoh. He put me in charge of his personal affairs and made me ruler of all Egypt. Hurry back to my father. Tell him, your son Joseph says, I'm master of all of Egypt. Come as fast as you can and join me here. I'll give you a place to live in Goshen where you'll be close to me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and anything else you can think of. I will take care of you there completely. There are still five more years of famine ahead. I'll make sure all of your needs are taken care of. You and everyone connected with you. You won't want for a thing. Look at me. You can see yourselves, and my brother Benjamin can see for himself that it's me. My own mouth telling you all of this. Tell my father all about the high position that I hold in Egypt. Tell him everything that you've seen here. But don't take all day. Hurry up and get my father down here. And then Joseph threw himself on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. He then kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Only then were his brothers able to talk with him. The story was reported in Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have come. It was good news to Pharaoh and all who worked with him. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, this is the plan. Load up your pack animals, go to Canaan, get your father and your families, and bring them back here. I'll settle you in the best land in Egypt, and you'll live off the fat of the land. So tell them, here's what I want you to do. Take wagons from Egypt to carry your little ones and your wives and load up your father and come back. Don't worry about having to leave things behind. The best in all of Egypt will be yours. And they did just that, the sons of Israel. Joseph gave them the wagons that Pharaoh had promised and food for the trip. He outfitted all of the brothers in brand new clothes, but he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and several suits of clothes. 
He sent his father these gifts, ten donkeys loaded with Egypt's best products and another ten donkeys loaded with grain and bread, provisions for his father's journey back. Then he sent his brothers off. As they left, he told them, Keep it easy on the journey. Try to get along with each other. They left Egypt and they went back to their father Jacob in Canaan. When they told him Joseph is still alive and he's the ruler over the whole land of Egypt, he went numb. He couldn't believe his ears. But the more that they talked, telling him everything that Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the blood started to flow again. Their father Jacob's spirit revived, and Israel said, I've heard enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I've got to go and see him before I die. Oh, man. Joseph is what an example just faith and forgiveness and grace and mercy. So there's a there's a little pause here that kind of talks about some of this. So Joseph had to wonder what had transpired in his brothers' lives. He had changed, but had they? He had surmounted the crassness of his youth, the bitterness of his slavery, and the defeat of prison and had risen to a place of power. But what about his brothers? Were they still the scheming, ruthless, intolerant gang of 22 years ago? Or had the guilt of their sin worked a change in them? Joseph intended to find out. He did it in a very clever way. In order to get the information that he needed, he put them on the defensive, accusing them of being spies. Stunned, the brothers returned to Joseph, who waited to see what would be revealed, not in their sacks, but in their hearts. Would they be as ready to leave Benjamin in Egypt as they had been to sell Joseph into slavery? Would they, to save their own skins, leave Benjamin behind to become a slave? Were they basically still selfish and contemptuous of their younger brothers, or had they changed? Judah, one of the older brothers, gave Joseph his answer. They wouldn't leave Benjamin. Judah offered himself as a substitute. He told the tragic story of his old father still mourning the loss of Joseph and dreading the news of Benjamin. He revealed the suffering that 22 years of guilt had caused them. As he talked, he showed a heart of compassion, of love, and of courage. Joseph's brothers had changed. He was convinced. At the same moment, he was overcome with emotion. He cleared the room of Egyptians so that just he and his brothers were together. Then he wept aloud as he told them that he was Joseph, their long-lost brother, whom they had sold into slavery. The brothers were dismayed and frightened. Wouldn't Joseph, with all of his power, exact revenge on them? But Joseph told them that what he had learned through the years, not about politics or the Egyptian culture, but about God. The story continues, but it is all falling action now. The crisis has come. test has been met. Salvation has been achieved. Reconciliation is a fact. The secret hand of God has been seen. The brothers return to get Jacob and bring him back to Egypt in splendor. And the son, who had been dead for 22 years, is finally restored to his father. What an amazing story. And I found myself wondering who instilled in Joseph such in unbelievable faith and trust in God. 
I know his mother, and she's a scheming little thing too. We know full well what his father is like. Who taught him to be such a strong man of faith? This happened when he was a teenager and he's dragged off, sold off into slavery. And now at this point, he's in his mid thirties. So it's been 30s. 22 years yeah. later. The Egyptians weren't God worshipers. They had their own gods. Yeah. The fact that he remained so devoted to God and retained such an incredible faith is amazing to me. Yeah. Absolutely Through the worst amazing. of circumstances. I know. Yeah. I'm... But I can see too how there was a little bit of a, like we wonder why did he treat his brothers like that? Well, in his mind, he had to know, was there a change? Was there a difference? Are these people still the same Are they people? Have they changed over 20 some years and God showed him through little tests that he put them through? I mean, he never put them in any immediate danger, but just those little tests to see how are you going to react? And I think right. God will does you, that a lot with us. Will you throw my brother away too, like you did me? Yeah. It wasn't Joseph's fault and it wasn't Benjamin's fault that Israel was just such an awful father. Yeah. And so openly doted on and loved them, which causes other children to be bitter. I think I un I didn't spend enough time with Joseph and understanding just how incredible a man of faith he was. And friends, that's the end of the Bible reading today. We appreciate having you along for episode number 21, another action-packed day with stuff. I mean, this is literally like you could watch a little mini-series and be riveted. Maybe we should get costumes and act out. Ooh, there's an idea. Mom always told me that I had a face for radio, so. Well, I disagree, and I think you've got a face for wherever you want to. And with that being said, we love you, Mom. We are going to end here for today, and we will see you next time for episode number 22. Yay, we look forward to having you back with us. Have a great day. Bye.